Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise be to God. We're here again. Beautiful home in McKinney, Texas. Thank you all for joining me in my home for Gospel Saving Church. And thank you guys and gals for coming online and coming to Gospel Saving Church and listening to me from out there, SoundCloud, and all over the world. God bless you and welcome. You're part of my family, too. Praise be to God. Um, I'm just so thankful that the Lord has brought us here another day. I'm thankful that here in America, anyway, I don't know where I'll wherever else you are in the world, but it's Mother's Day, so I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all the ladies out there that are listening. God bless you, and thank you for all that you did for the kingdom of God by having a child and and putting a a beautiful child into this world, and and I hope you're praying for them, and and you're being the Proverbs 31 woman that God wants you to be. Um, Anyway, um, if you guys want to start off with me with a word of prayer for our service and for our hearts, and we just got to ask the Lord to help us with understanding and for me to preach and us to hear and listen and stay attentive and everything. So if you join me in a word of prayer, please, I'd surely appreciate it. Lord Jesus, Lord God Almighty in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And we thank you so much, Lord, for the light that you give us in your word. Thank you so much, Lord. We don't even think about our hearts beating, but yet our hearts beat every day. Hundreds and thousands upon thousands upon multiples, of thousands, maybe even 10,000, 100,000 times a day, Lord. I'm not even sure of the number, just just keeps beating. It never gives up and never grows tired until we die, and then it stops. I thank you, Lord, for the air that we have and to breathe, Lord. You make that air for us every single solitary day, Lord. We don't work to make that air. You just make the air, and you use all the things that you grow on the earth to make us air, and we don't even think about air, Lord. You just grow the air and make the air, and you help us. To, and we, we can breathe it as long as we're alive, and we don't even think about it. And I just want to thank you. Lord, for even the air that we have to breathe. And I thank you, Lord. None of that would really mean anything, Lord, if there wasn't a you. Lord God. And, and none, none of that would matter if you didn't, hadn't given us your word to reveal yourself to us. So I thank you, Lord God, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. And that you haven't left us in the dark. And you didn't just leave us stranded in the middle of the wilderness without any direction back towards you. Or to find out how to get to you. But, Lord, you have. You love that you've left us your accurate, holy inspired word to help us get back to you, to help us follow you, to help us serve you. Lord, it's it your word is profitable for everything, Lord God. And we need it for our lives, Lord. I lived without it for so long and ruined my life, but Lord, now my life is amazing. Not that it's easy, but it's amazing. And I thank you for that, Lord. Anyway, Lord, we pray for the service today that you would help my mouth to preach these things accurately, Lord, that you've given me to say today, and you'd Help the people that are listening, Lord, all those that love you out there, maybe those that are seeking for you, Lord, out there. Help them to learn how to love you today. Help them to learn how to love you, Lord, today. Help us to know more how to follow you, Lord, and some of your promises, Lord. Help us to understand these things and help us not only to hear them, but, Lord, to to take action on them, Lord, to find out how to do it and to do it right, Lord. We love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So today we're going to be, if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 4, 11 through 22. And actually this is going to finish out our second book of Timothy. This is the third complete book that I've taught through now. I taught through the whole Gospel of Matthew, the whole first book of Timothy, and the whole second book of Timothy. So this is going to finish it off. And so I think I know where I'm going from next book, but pray for me that God would show me clearly what next book I'm supposed to start in. 
I'm going to read those verses and I'm going to read it on out and finish teaching it as soon as I get through my thoughts from last week's message, the crown of righteousness. Have this idea as we're going along, succeeding in your race of faith. Have that idea in your mind as we're going along, succeeding in your race of faith. Last week we talked about how Paul had finished his race of faith. And he's finished his service unto God. Remember, having kept total trust and faith in and and loving Jesus Christ. Uh, And because of that, there was verse 8, the first part of verse 8. Finally, there's laid out for me the crown of righteousness. So because he had kept the faith, there was laid up for him that beautiful crown, or we know it to be everlasting life in your resurrected body and not eternal death in your resurrected body, right? And I also told you how getting to this crown or getting to eternal life was hard, right? Because even Jesus said the road of faith to eternal salvation, to walk with God is hard. And it's and it's long and it's arduous, right? Because it's not easy to have faith. It's easy to stress out in our own flesh and it's easy to take things on our own, but it's not easy to just trust in God. It should be, but it's not. And so that road of faith to get to that crown is hard. It's difficult. It's long. It's arduous. Well, I just want you to keep this in mind as you run your race of faith, if you're a Christian. It's it's real easy just to focus on attaining this crown that Paul and James wrote to us about, right? If we, like, only keeping our minds on the crown or gaining eternal life, making that our total focus, like, as we live our lives, only thinking about, I just can't wait to get to heaven. So running to the finish line, only running to get to heaven, only running to get to eternal life. You will not succeed in your race for faith or your race of faith if you have heaven only as your driving motivation. Paul and James's driving motivation, their goal in their lives was, was not just attaining this crown of life. So they didn't just have the attitude, oh, I just want to go to heaven. This was not what we read in Scripture. It wasn't theirs, and it shouldn't be ours. And we know that. We know that by what Paul says in the last of verse 8. He says, talks about the crown, running for the crown. He says that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. We shouldn't be running just for eternal life. We shouldn't be consumed with just focusing on heaven. We should be focused on loving God, loving Jesus Christ, having the heart attitude of a love attitude and a faith towards God instead of just, I just want to go to heaven. So many people in our day now, what do they do? I hear, I've heard them, maybe you've heard them too. They kind of use Jesus as a get out of hell free card. Well, I, I'm saved and I, I get to go to heaven. You won't hear anything about how they want to be with God. You won't hear anything about how they long to be with Jesus. All they do is, oh, I'm saved. I pray to Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is not the proper attitude that we need to have in our race of faith. What is one reason? Just one reason, and I've had this discussion a few times. Heaven, if you think about it, is just a place. Heaven is just a place like Chicago, Illinois. 
or Sarasota, Florida, or McKinney, Texas, like where I live. It's just a place. It's a spiritual place, but it's just nonetheless a place. A spiritual one, like a physical one, it's just a place. It's a location, right? And nobody should just focus on the, the crown or just wanting to go to heaven in the running of the race of faith. They should run the race of faith because they long for and look forward to being with Jesus Christ. Because think about this. What you think about this? I don't know if you ever had before. The only reason heaven is such a wonderful place is because it's where God and Jesus Christ dwell. That's the only reason heaven is such a wonderful place. And where people in heaven with Christ and with God can have fellowship with them. Not just going to heaven because, oh, I just want to get away from hell. No, that's a wrong attitude to have. We, want, we should long to be in heaven because we long to be with the one who saved us. We should long to get to know the one that redeemed us. The one that gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins, to give us new life. This is why we should run the race of faith. And if we run the race of faith with this as our goal, with Jesus Christ as our goal, with God's love as our goal, we will succeed in our race of faith. If we run the race of faith just for heaven, well, if you think about it, What has heaven ever done for you? Has heaven ever loved you? Has heaven ever longed? Does heaven even have feelings? Well, think about it. Does Chicago, Illinois have any feelings for the people that live there? Does McKinney, Texas have any feelings for those that live there? Well, absolutely not. And because it's just a place, we shouldn't long for the place. We should long in our race of faith for the one who dwells in that place. And that is, again, the one that paid for our sins, the one that gave his life on the cross for us. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ desires to spend time with you forever. Jesus Christ has feelings for you. Not heaven, but Jesus Christ does. So that's why we will only succeed in our race of faith if our long-term desire is to be with God and to be with Christ instead of being just in a place called heaven. Anyway, I want to help you succeed in your race of faith and not fail. Keep your focus right and you'll make it. Praise be to God. All right, well, let's move on. I'm going to read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 22. The title of our new sermon today is, When all forsook me, the Lord stood with me. When all forsook me, the Lord stood with me. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 22 to finish out the chapter. Paul writes, Only Luke is with me, talking to Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. In Titus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear 
also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trompus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your uttermost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pubans. Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Sorry about that. I'm not real good at Greek names, but uh, that was just the closing, and there's not much for me to say. Thanks be to God there anyway. Um, now, to start off first, what, what do I have to say? That This seems like a whole lot of information, a whole lot of little quick jaunts, you know, like a little quick little notes that Paul has for Timothy here. But there's actually a very lot to say here. Um, just starting off, uh, you know, contrasting here, you might make the argument, if you remember last week, we talked about how Demas and, and Crescentus and Titus had forsaken Paul. I, I gave you that, you know, I told you about that, how Demas had forsaken Paul because of the love of this world, if you remember correctly. Well, you might make the argument, going back to verse 10, because we are going to in just a little bit here, you might make the argument that the other two guys Paul mentioned in the last section, Crescentus and Titus, hadn't forsaken Paul like Demas did for the love of the world or for any reason at all, because Paul didn't come right out and say it. And I can almost agree with you, except for the fact that I see Paul here, you're going to see in a minute here as I as I show you, I see Paul here making a distinction between those we already read about, those Demas and Crescentus and Titus, and the couple that we're going to read about in this week. I see Paul making a distinction. Look at verse 10 again. I'm going to read it over very quickly, and I'm going to show you kind of how, you know, or 9 and 10, I should say, why the, what distinction I see here. We see Paul write 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So that's kind of like where Paul sets it out, okay? And has departed for Thessalonica, Crescentus for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. And so there he kind of stops, and I see like this grouping of these three guys, where Paul puts them all together. And you may say, well, I don't know, uh, Pastor, and I, I can't really see that. Well, when we look at verses 11 and 12 especially, we see that kind of Paul switches over. He switches over in verse 11 and he says, only Luke is with me. So these other guys had forsaken him, had gone away, and he doesn't speak lightly of them. He, he puts Crescentus and, and Titus in a kind of a bad light with Demas, and then he goes on to say, and only Luke is with me. And he goes on to say, get Mark and bring him with you. So we see here that Paul kind of starts a new crowd. Luke is with me, that's a good thing, because we're going to read in a little bit here that all had forsaken him. So Luke is with him, he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. So see how we see a distinction there, there's almost a line there between those that were grouped together with Demas, who had forsaken him for the love of the world, and we got Luke and Mark, is they're, they're, they're on the positive side. And especially when you see in the new group we have this mark, when you consider at one time Acts 15 happened, listen to what happens to Paul in Acts 15, 37 through 40, 36 through 40, Paul says, or book Acts writes, Then after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. 
Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Now, this would be the same Mark that we're reading about here in Scripture. But Paul insisted that they should not take him with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, while Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by their brethren uh, to the grace of God. So you see there that this Mark that Paul wanted with him here was in this good category because this Mark at one time was in a bad category. Mark had forsaken, Mark had kind of abandoned Paul in some other work that he had, and Barnabas wanted to take Mark, but Paul said, no, 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 I don't want to take him, you know, I don't want him to do it. He was unfaithful. He came with us to do this other work, and he kind of skipped up, he kind of skipped town right in the middle of we're doing work here, and so Paul didn't want him, Barnabas did, and they had a contention over him, so Paul and Barnabas actually had a ministry split over this same Mark here that Paul now says is was useful to him for ministry. So we see this distinction Obviously, Paul and Mark had reconciled their differences, and we know that you know God's will is reconciliation. So I see the first part positive. We see Luke and Mark in a positive category, um, that they're not against him, they're for him. Luke's with him. Hey, bring Mark. Mark, who was against me, who now, hey, he's useful for me in ministry. So look at what Paul says in verse 12. There's another one. And Titus I have sent to Ephesus. So we see this next guy here that he, he sent him somewhere. Now, when disciples would do this before, apostles would do this, he would send somebody off to go do work in his name, you'd say. He'd be in a, a sent by an apostle. And so he'd kind of have the authority of the apostle kind of going with him. And so this is another positive thing we see here. Titus was sent away, not he left me. And it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It was a good thing to be sent on your way, to be sent out. They would, in those days, they would, we still do it today. Some churches still do it today, where when you're going to go to do a ministry work or when you're going to go off to start a new church, the church prays for you. They lay hands on you and they pray for you and they say, hey, and then, you know, we, Lord, we, we pray that you'd send this brother or sister out and they do a good work for you. And they still send people out today, churches do, and go start new works for them to go somewhere else. And so I see uh, between these three guys, Luke and Mark and Titus here, I see a positive distinction here between the group with Demas. One group, the Demas and the, the other guys there in verse 8, they left Paul. They, they, they kind of forsook him. One group was on that side. And even uh, this new group here, we have Mark and Paul and Titus. This is a positive thing. These guys are with me. So I see a distinction. You might want to make that uh, idea because I had, but then God showed me that. Anyway, moving on. Uh, since Timothy was about to visit Paul, Paul puts in another request for him of some things that he was in need of. Look at verse 13. He says to, uh, to Timothy, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus, that's a guy, and at Troas, which is a, obviously a city or a town, when you come, and the books especially, the, par- the parchments. So Obviously, Paul had left an outer garment with this man named Carpus in the city of Troas, along with some parchments and some books, and he wanted them back. Remember now, he's imprisoned in Rome. He's about to die. It's close to 65 AD, where he was beheaded by Nero for his witness for Christ. And so he's in prison. He hasn't much to do. He probably wanted the cloak to keep him warm on those cool European. Remember, Rome is in Europe. And Rome gets a little cold, and he said, come before winter. So he was wanting this cloak before the winter months, before it got really cold. And he also probably wanted the parchments or these books to study. Paul knew that an idle mind is the devil's playground, and he didn't want to let the devil mess with his mind. And 
you know, just a side note, the devil loves to mess with Christians' minds. He already has the minds of the people in the world. He, he shoots a little something at them and they do it right away. Whatever it may be, selfishness or greed or whatever. But Christians, their minds are being purified by God. And our minds are being, folk, you know, we're trying to focus our minds on the heavenly things and the good things and keeping our minds out of the gutter and so on and so forth. And, and so the devil's biggest target for a Christian is your mind. As he shoots those little fiery arrows in your mind and he makes you, he kind of throws these thoughts at you and you, if you meditate on these thoughts, you start to go toward negativity. You start to go toward destruction. You start to go toward, you know, oh, my life is so bad and so terrible. Instead of, if you keep your mind focused on God and Christ and the riches that he has for you and the glory that he, you have with him and for all eternity and how his goodness and his love, you'll stay on the right path. So just be warned, Christians, if you didn't already know, the devil's biggest playground is your mind. And Paul here seems like he would have wanted these books here, or these parchments, so that he kept his mind clean, you know. Give his mind something to do. There's not much to do in prison. He had witnessed to probably everybody there. And so now what does he do? Well, he wanted to study. So let's keep going. So Timothy's coming to visit Paul to bring him some companionship in Mark. Uh, Paul wants a cloak to keep him warm, some parchments to keep his mind busy as he finishes his last day on this earth. But because Timothy was coming to visit, Paul has a warning along with some bad news for Timothy. I don't know if you saw it in verse 14, 15. Look at this. He says, verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. So there was this guy, sadly, this man named uh, uh, Alexander, and he was a coppersmith, which means he made copper things. and this guy by the name of Alexander the Cowshman did it didn't accept Paul's message of hope in Jesus Christ. So instead of just disagreeing with him, you know, hey, I reject you. Stop talking to me. I'm out of here. He he takes his rejection to another level. I should say he took his rejection to another level. And we see here that he took it to a destructive level. We don't have to wonder too hard about what type of harm a guy that was a coppersmith could do to somebody. Uh, if you just think about it just quickly, Alexander worked with hard metal implements, copper. He worked with fire, and he worked with hot, liquid copper. Now, if you put those things together and you think, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, you don't have to, re- you don't have to think for too long what hot metal implements, liquid copper, and fire can do to somebody if you want to torture them. That's a brutal, brutal torture. Um, One of the ways that the uh, early church used to persecute persecute Protestants was they had a seat of metal, iron, and they used to heat up the seat of iron and make the Christians sit there until basically they uh, melted into the seat and they just lit the fi- lit the seat of iron on fire and let the, the Christian sit there strapped to the chair and then the Christian died, of course, because of the heat and the, the, your skin will melt and burn. And so Alexander here worked with those same types of things, hot metal implements, fire, and hot liquid copper. And Paul says here that this man, Alexander, did him much harm. And then he says, may the Lord repay him. Paul wasn't holding a grudge rather than he, you know, he knew that the Bible said that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Paul didn't want vengeance on him himself, nor did he 
seek recompense on himself. What he did was he put it in God's hands and he said, you know what? Hey, the Lord repay him. Paul knew that God's vengeance against somebody that did something to him was way worse than whatever Paul could do to repay him. And so Paul put it in God's hands instead of getting angry with this guy. And, you know, so anyway, moving on. Uh, what is one reason I, uh, the reason I should say I believe that Alexander the coppersmith was angry with Paul, if you think about this and kind of do the thinking in your mind here, uh, and tortured him with these vicious methods that I believe he did, was because Alexander was probably an idol maker. You see, in those days, copper idols were very popular. And you see, Paul came preaching a, a message of Jesus Christ. And the Bible speaks against making idols. So, of course, many people through Paul, God used Paul in mighty ways to bring many people to Jesus Christ. Okay, so what happens when you've got a thriving business of making copper idols and a guy comes into your town and starts converting all your copper idol buying people? Well, of course, you lose money. And so Alexander, I believe, was probably angry because Paul was converting all of his customers to Christianity, to Christ. And so people, even to this very day, because I know I work at a job where I deal with money, people are very angry when you mess with their money. People get very angry when it comes to discounts on products if they don't get them and or they're very watchful when they go to a store and they look at the money that you're charging them and, and they think it's wrong and they get very vicious and very angry. In fact, the Bible says, Paul says, 1 Timothy 6.10, for, for the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. And so here I kind of see this Alexander getting angry at Paul for stealing away his idol-buying customers. Same thing almost happened to Paul in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Let me tell you about that. So Acts chapter 19, uh, the Bible says, And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way. This would be Christianity. Paul was there. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the works or with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Uh, those aren't gods which are made with human hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger, hey, he's messing with our money. He's converting all of our idol-buying customers. He's, he's, he's damaging our trade. He's taking our money away. Not only is this trade of ours in danger of failing or falling in disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despaired and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, when they heard this, now these were all the tradesmen, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion, rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. We'll stop there. So they didn't actually get a hold of Paul because of what Paul was doing, but they grabbed his travel companions. Now, if we were to read on, I'm not going to for time's sake, but if you were to read on, travel, Paul's travel companions got released pretty quickly after. No harm come came to them, praise God. 
But I just wanted to throw that account into the Bible to show you that what happened is, is the, Paul was converting these people and these tradesmen that made these these idols were getting angry at him because they didn't like that they, their paying customers were going away. And so people are, or they do, and they, 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 they did, and they still do get really serious about their cash flow. And uh, again here, because of that, I believe Alexander did a lot of physical harm to Paul, as Paul just said, resisting his words about Christ. And because of this, and Paul closes out there, he warns Timothy in verse 15 to be careful of Alexander, for Paul didn't want to see Timothy and Mark, because remember Timothy was going to bring Mark, go through the same torture that he had gone through. But the bad news for Paul, that, that Paul had for Timothy, was unfortunately just beginning. Uh, Paul had bad news for Timothy about his torture by the hands of Alexander was just the first bit of bad news. Unfortunately, he had a second bit of bad news. Let's uh, read the first part of verse 16. Paul says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. When Paul had gone to Rome, they didn't immediately put him in the stocks in prison. He was allowed for many years to dwell amongst the people. And he he had kind of his own dwelling place where he had kind of just a guy to stand with him and kind of watch over him. It was still prison because he didn't have his freedom to go wherever he want, like back home or travel across the seas. But he was stuck there. But nonetheless, he was stuck in one location in, you know, in a type of prison in Rome. And he says here, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. So obviously here, going back to Alexander being a maker of copper idols, they got angry, I believe. There must have been some type of gathering between Alexander and those of his trade to discuss what type of punishment to dish out on Paul for messing with their cash flow. Because here it says, at my first defense, no one stood with me. So there must have been some type of trial. They had some type of trial. They got together and they were just like they did back there in Ephesus. And they said, hey, we got to stop this guy. How could we stop this guy? And sadly, Paul tells us at his first defense, no one stood with him, but all forsook him. So obviously, as we just talked about, his punishment from Alexander and these guys was torture because Alexander did him much harm. Ouch. And uh, it's at this trial that Paul gets his saddest nudes to tell Timothy. And he says again, that not one Christian that he knew there in Rome, and there were lots of Christians around Paul, not one of them stood by him as these men put him on this on trial for really he wasn't doing anything wrong he was just preaching his belief in Jesus Christ it was the people that were deciding to come after Paul not Paul and so Alexander and the coppersmith and his guys they should have really gone after the people but they didn't they knew that if they stomped out the preacher then of course the people would still be there to buy their idols and so but again the saddest news of all is that while they held this trial for Paul All the Christians in this area forsook Paul. What does that mean? That means they abandoned him. That means they left him alone. They saw the danger coming and they left. And they, you know, oh, hey, we got to go. As they saw this, maybe this mob or this crowd coming, hey, we got to go. And then they just left him. Now, I mean, just think about it. Prison is already terrible enough, you know, the way he was living. Torture in prison is a step up on the bad scale, because remember, they tortured him because of it. 
But then right as you're going for the trial, right as you can maybe defend yourself, right? Because you know you've done nothing wrong. Right as you're going to do this, all the people that you love and all the people who you think love you run away from you. They leave you. They get away from you. So that they're not in danger themselves and they leave it all on you. Because I'm sure there were many preachers like Paul and maybe had Alexander come and all of them been with him, they would have attacked all of them. But nonetheless, they all fled. And they, none of them stood with Paul to help Paul defend himself. He was all alone. What Paul says happens to him here reminds me of how the disciples abandoned Christ when Judas and the Roman soldiers came to arrest him, taking him to a fake joke trial to find him guilty even though he had done nothing wrong. Paul here got to feel exactly like Jesus Christ did when they were arresting him and bringing him in for, you know, to judge him wrong, even though he had done no wrong. Did Paul hold a grudge here or did he forgive him? Well, the last part of verse 16 says, may it not be charged against them. What does that mean? He's saying, hey, I I love them still. You know what? I forgive them. They've hurt me because abandonment is hard. I've been through it in my life quite a bit, and abandonment is hard. But Paul says here, hey, may it not be charged against them. He didn't hold a grudge. He had received God's forgiveness in Christ, and he just basically passed it on to the others. The Bible says that if we can't forgive others, then God won't forgive us. And so Paul knew that, and Paul said, hey, I know we're all human, even though it hurt me. They left me all alone, basically in his darkest hour in prison. All of his friends that he thought were his friends abandoned him, and they left him alone, and they left his side. It's no wonder why Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He lived out those words in a real way, and we see it here. Now, Although Paul had all this bad news to give Timothy up front here, he ends on a bright note with some really good news. And another reason he was able to forgive his fellow comrades for their abandonment. Read the first part of 17, Paul says, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. So although Paul was in prison in Rome, had been tortured by Alexander and abandoned by those whom he loved and thought loved him, since he followed and he loved and he served Jesus Christ, the Lord, (coughs) excuse me, the Lord loved him and stood with him. That means when all others left his side, Jesus Christ came right next to his side and he stood with him through it all. And he strengthened him through it all and of course gave him the ability to forgive those who abandoned him also isn't that good news god when all else forsake us when everyone forsakes us if we're god's followers then christ will come and stand with us as all those abandon us notice here that although god loved paul god didn't deliver paul from all the evil that was coming upon him He didn't deliver them all from the torture and the pain and the suffering and the imprisonment and the abandonment that he went through. Instead, God didn't deliver him from all that stuff. 
He stood with them through it all and he strengthened them through it all. Christians, that's important because if we're going through bad things in life, it's important to know that God may not deliver us from those difficult, those harsh, and those you know hard things that we're going through. But if we come to him, if we cry out to him, what we're going to talk about at the end of the message, but if we come to him, if we cry out to him, as although we go through all these bad things, and God won't deliver us and take us out of them, he will strengthen us and stand with us by our sides and go through them with us. But, but rather, as Paul went through all these terrible times, God stood right there by his side and strengthened him and helped him through it all, just like God will do today for us. So that even though all had abandoned him, the Lord stood with him. That's kind of the title of our message. That's where the Lord gave me my title for the message today. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. So love me and serve me is what Jesus Christ just said. I want you to Christians to love me and serve me. There's a way I've called you to love me and serve me. Go therefore, preach the word, love me and serve me. And look at the promise he gives to those who would love him and serve him. He goes on to say, And lo, I am, all, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. David writes about this promise of God as he was also a man who loved and served God. Psalm 23, 4, we all know this verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Paul affirms here what Jesus Christ says in Matthew 28 as to why God stood with him and strengthened him. In the middle part of verse 17 there, he says, So that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. So not only was God there for him when all forsook him to be his constant companion, but God, of course, had a job for him to do. And, of course, God wanted him to finish this job that he had him to do. So he was with him. He strengthened him so that Paul could keep doing the work that he called him to, even though he had fallen on his worst times in prison in Rome. And the last part of verse 17 and verse 18, what was God going to do? And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So therefore, they weren't able to kill Paul. I'm sure their desire was to not only torture him, but they desired, I'm sure, to torture him to death. And he goes on to say in verse 18, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom to be uh, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So they, again, they weren't able to end his life the first time, and I'm sure they were trying. And Paul says, and they won't be, even be able to end my life. So short-term future tense, because remember, you're bulletproof if you're a servant of God. You're bulletproof. God won't allow you to go anywhere off this planet until he's done with you, as I talked about within the last week or two. So look at verses 19 through 22 again. I'm just going to comment slowly on them, and then we're going to close it on out. He goes on to say in verse 19, Hey, greet these people, Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Hey, greet them. Say hi to them for me, Timothy, because I, I know they're in your area. And remember, uh, it was uh, Anisiphorus was the one that had forsaken Paul, so obviously his household after the first letter kind of came back to 
you know, the church and kind of came back. He goes on to say, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Triumphus I have left in Miletus 6. So he's talking, just telling Timothy and just filling him in on ministry news. Hey, this is what I did here. And, you know, this is what I did here. And then he says, do your uttermost to come uh, before winter. And of course, we don't ever really know if Timothy actually made it to see Paul before Paul died or if Paul made it to winter and saw Timothy and then died the very next year in 65 AD. We're not really sure. But Paul's writing here is his wishes. This is what he's hoping will happen. Hey, Timothy, come before winter because he knew he didn't have much time and he wanted these things. Remember, he wanted the cloak and he wanted the books and the parchments to help him get through as he was in prison. Um, uh, Ebulus uh, greets you. So there was another guy that had come back to him as well as Pubins. Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. So obviously, as he forgave the brethren, as he forgave the Christians that had, you know, because all had forsaken him, obviously they were here with him again. And they were like, hey, you know, you're writing a letter. Say hi to Timothy for me. And he closes out with kind of the same words that he had. Hey, the all forsake, all forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. Verse 22, he tells Timothy, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Hey, Timothy, just as God and Christ stood with me when all forsook me, hey, grace to you and and Jesus Christ be with you also, always. Well, when all those whom Paul loved forsook him, the Lord stood with him. When all those whom Paul loved forsook him, the Lord stood with him. God was so good to Paul and stood by his side through the good and the bad, and he helped him get through all the terrible things that Paul went through. Has God changed today? May 2016, has God changed? Is God different today? Does he still stand by the side, or the sides, I should say, of peoples today? Absolutely. God still stands by my side. I don't know if he stands by yours, but God still stands by my side. I have faced the same abandonment over the last five years of my life. It's been a really hard four or five last years for me where many people that I love dearly in the Lord have forsaken me. And it's been a really, really, really hard time for me. And it's hurt really, really, really bad. Those that were closest to me, whom I love the most in the Lord, have abandoned me because of their differences that they had through, you know, uh, a church's decision and so on and so forth. And, And it hurt me. And it hurts the most when those whom you love and those whom you think love you abandon you because you're very close. And you build relationships and you build bonds with people. And then when they forsake you, it's almost like a piece of you goes with them. And it's like you lose a piece of you. You you had a trust of the people that you love. And yet, when they abandon you, those that are closest with you that abandon you, like Paul had happened to him, it hurts even worse the closer that they are to you. And and for me, those that I love very dearly in the Lord, forsaking me, hurt very deeply. But, in the midst of it all, ladies and gentlemen, in the midst of it all, Christians, or those that are seeking today, just as Paul says here, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me through it all and got me through all the pain and all the hurt that I went through. And I made it, thanks be to Christ. I made it, 
and I don't have any resentment. I've forgiven all those who, whom I still love, as Paul forgave those all that had forsaken him, those that it would have been really easy for him to resent because although I've gone through some really hard times in the last four or five years, Paul was tortured by a coppersmith and those his fellow mates there, and I haven't faced any hot liquid implements and, and, and burning fire and, and hot pokers. I haven't experienced any of that just yet, but Paul did. And so it would have been easier for him to resent those that forsook him because he had a lot more, a lot more pain, physical pain, that I actually went through. So, But yet here, God has helped me, Christ has helped me, forgive all those that have hurt me and forsook me, as God helped Paul strengthen him through all that he went through. Have you been hurt or abandoned by those whom you love, whether Christian or not? So have you, whether you're a Christian or not, and you're listening to this message, you're either a Christian or you're somebody that's seeking, have you ever had anybody that's hurt you or abandoned you? Or have you ever, have you had a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in your life lately, you know, especially lately? Will God stand with you and strengthen you through all of that and help you to forgive those who have forsaken you or help you to get through the difficult times that you're going through just as he did with Paul and just as he's done with me and he's doing with me right now? Will he do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he and I guarantee it because God has promised it in his word and he's a man of his word. He's not a liar and he's a loving father also. (coughs) Excuse me. God says he is the father of all creation and he's a loving father too. But this guarantee of God comes with a stipulation because all of God's guarantees, all of God's promises come with a stipulation. God God says one thing and then he expects us to fulfill our part of the bargain, you would say. So what is God's stipulation to this promise of help and strength through times of abandonment and pain and suffering as I and Paul and many other Christians have gone through? Look at what he says in his word. Look at what Paul says by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 10, 11 through 13. He says, for the scripture says... Whoever believes on him. Now, this isn't just a head belief, ladies and gentlemen. This is a heart belief. This is a I I totally trust in God belief, not just a head belief. He says, whoever used to say totally trusts in me with all that they are will not be put to shame. For there's no no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all. And he's rich to all who call upon him. He's rich to all who call upon him. And Paul makes it very clear there, whether you're Jew or Greek. Meaning whether you're Jew, whether you have the promises of God from when God saved the Jews, or whether you're a Gentile and you've never, you know, you weren't promised anything from God from the Old Testament. Whether you're Jew or Greek, Gentile, whatever. God is rich to all who call upon him. For he says... For whoever, that means all people, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God will, he promises, help you through all abandonment, all betrayal, every hurt, every pain, and whatever you're going through, and he'll strengthen you through it all, 
If you'll just surrender your, your prideful heart of, I can do it. I can do this. I, I, I got this. As you're dying inside, because I know I've done it in the past, I can do this, even though you, you really can't. If you surrender your prideful heart of, I can do it, and, and you start putting your faith and, and your trust totally in Him with, with all your heart, and you start to call upon Him, to save you. And this saving you is not just hell, by the way God's shown me in Scripture. It's saving you from whatever you're going through. God can save you and deliver you and strengthen you and help you through whatever you're going through. Look what James says 4 in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Notice that your your choice was to either A, keep to yourself, or B, draw near to God. And that would be, of course, by faith. And then God's promise there to you was God would draw near to you. He goes on to say that there's some repentance involved. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. So cry to God and tell Him you're sorry for your sin and stop. Turn away from sin and submit to God. Put your trust totally in Him. Draw near to Him by faith and He'll draw near to you. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. So you see, we have a responsibility to receive this help that God offers here. God offers all the help we'll ever need to get through everything and anything. And remember, Christian, if you're a Christian out there, God may not decide to deliver you from the problem you're going through, but he will and he promises to strengthen you if you turn to him, if you draw near to him, if you humble yourself, in his eyes, and he will lift you up. He will strengthen you if you turn to him. It's really, I've talked about this with my wife too, it's the art of surrender. It's the art of saying, I cannot do this, God. Waving your white flag of surrender, whether you're saved or not saved, just turning it all over to God and saying, I can't do this, Lord. Help me, Jesus. I I can't do this. Help me, I need you, here I am. Save me from what I'm going through. Save me from this sin. I need you, Jesus. And it's from your heart, and God cannot but answer that prayer because he's a loving father. (laughs) And lastly, Jesus just simply put it this way. He said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice that our part was to come to him and then turn to him, you could say. And then he says, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Turn to Jesus. Turning to Jesus Christ. Turning and crying out to God. I need your help, Lord. 
I can't do this. I'm suffering. Look at what all these people have done to me or look at this pain in my life and look at this suffering I'm going through in my life. Lord, God, help me. Please, Jesus, help me. I need you. I can't do this on my own anymore. And then the Bible says, come to me and I will give you rest as Jesus just said. God loves you more than you can ever imagine, all of us. In fact, I don't think we'll know how much God loves us until we actually see his face and we stand before him on that day and we see the eyes of love to us that have turned to him and, of course, the eyes of wrath to those that haven't turned to him. Maybe you're saying to yourself right now today, Pastor Ed, I've done what you're saying here. I've surrendered my life to him and submitted to God and cried out to him and done all that, but he's not helped me like he did Paul and like he has you. Well, all I can tell you is this. God is a man of his word and he promised and he promises to help those who love him and serve him and live for him. And If he is really not helping you and he's really not strengthening you, are you really fulfilling your end of the deal? Are you really submitting your life to God? Are you really surrendered unto the Lordship of Jesus? Are you really to that point of the white flag of surrender? Is your life totally in God's hands? And are you really crying out to him to really save you because You want his help and you know you really need him or because you just want to go to heaven or you just want to be delivered from the situation because that's not how God works. God says, I strengthen you through it. In this world, you will have tribulation. He promises, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So is your life really in his hands? Because his promises are only for those that fulfill their part of the bargain. They're not just for everybody. And God will strengthen you and God will help you through everything. But you have to be totally in his hands. For as all forsook Paul and all have forsaken me and all those that maybe have forsaken you or all the pain and suffering you've been through, if you come and humble yourself before God and surrender to him and put all your trust in him and live for him and serve him and love him, he will strengthen you through it all. Let's pray. Thank you, dear God, for all that you had to say in your word today. There was a whole lot, Lord, that we looked at, just these little different excerpts, Lord. But Lord, the one main thing that just struck me in the heart as I was preparing this message was all all those all these other little things that were in the scripture, which are not really little. They were important to Paul at the time, and they're important to us, and we know how he was living then, but One thing that struck me the most, Lord, was that how when all had forsaken Paul, just like all had forsaken me, you stood with me. And Lord, you stood with Paul and you're still standing with me now. And now Paul's standing with you. Lord, thank you, Lord, for this promise, Lord. For all who call upon your name will be saved. You will come and strengthen those. You will help those through all the difficult times that they're going through. If, Lord we humble ourselves before you if we truly are surrendered to you and we are yours or we want to be yours, Lord, even if we're not yours right now, Lord, those that are listening to this message that aren't yours, Lord, if they would come and humble themselves before you right now and turn to you and surrender to you, 
Lord, you would stand by their side through whatever pain and suffering that they're going through right now today too. Thank you so much, Lord, for you are a man of your word. And I thank you, Lord God, that we can trust you and we can trust your word, Lord. And we know that you're honest, Father. You're a loving Father. I just pray, Lord God, that those listening to me today would take you at your word and they would come to you, Lord, and find rest and help and all the things that they need to get through whatever they're going through in life. I pray these things, all of them, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.